We've been talking about the songs that are a rich part of the Bible, the, the songs that Jesus knew, the songs that Jesus sung as a young boy growing up in the synagogue. You know them as the Psalms, and while the, the melodies may have been lost to time, the lyrics are preserved in the center section of your Bible, in that collection of 150 or so Psalms. We've been talking about how the Psalms are the preeminent place in the Bible that you go to when you want to think about how to process the full range, the full gamut of human emotions. It's almost kind of like you're reading through God's counseling case book. It's not a textbook. A textbook might deal with principles and theories. It's a case book. It deals with the real-life situations of people struggling with anger and loneliness and doubt and grief and fear, anxiety, all the things that we've been talking about through these summer months. And yet occasionally you get to a psalm that's a little bit different, like this one, Psalm 103. Let me invite you to open up your Bible or, or switch on your device. And I want you to notice a couple of things right off the bat that are different about it. For example, notice that there's no heading Most of the Psalms have some descriptive language about the occasion that, that was being marked by the Psalm itself, the specific historical circumstances or situations in which this song was written. All we get with this one is of David, Psalm 103, a Psalm of David. I want you to notice too, as you glance through, that unlike most of the Psalms, There's no reference particularly to enemies or adversity or a particular circumstance. No reference to specific sins. What you have in Psalm 103 is kind of a rarity. It's not absolutely unique, but there are not many psalms like it. In a sense, it's a general psalm. And it's in there to sort of give us some guidance about how to handle life in general. How to approach all of life's circumstances, no matter what they may be. The other Psalms we've looked at might have been keyed in on particular situations, particular emotions. This one is more, more generalized. Here what you have is David laying out the basic key for dealing with all the situations that might arise in life, no matter what they may be. Maybe I've gotten you a little bit interested. And now that you're a little bit interested, I'm going to give you a feeling about this psalm that's going to strike you at first as anticlimactic, because the whole problem of the human heart, of human life, according to this psalm is, well, let's have a look. Let's see if you can find it yourself. Let's read that opening sentence. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. Some of you, you Bible scholars, you uh, scripture geeks, you'll remember that, that this is poetry, this is songwriting, and, and Hebrew poetry, Old Testament poetry, functions very differently from what you may have learned in high school English class. Remember in high school they talked about poetry having one of several devices. It could be based on rhyme. It could be based on meter. In Hebrew poetry, it's based on something called parallelism. You say something, and then you repeat it in a different way. 
It doesn't rhyme. It might not have the same meter, but it has the same thought repeated. So you have these little couplets moving back and forth. That's the structure of poetry. Here's a couplet. Praise the Lord, O my soul. That's the first thought. Here's the second thought. And forget not all his benefits. That's the parallel. It's not a new thing. It's the same thing being said in a different way. And here's the key idea. How is it that you praise the Lord with your entire soul? By not forgetting the things that he has done. And then maybe you see how in the NIV translation, if that's what you have, there's a dash afterwards. Because everything else that follows in the rest of the psalm is just a record of all the benefits of God. So here's David kind of saying, the main thing that we need to do, the main way to honor God, the main way to handle life, is not to forget. And the main problem we have is that we do. We forget. We forget what God has done. And I know that sounds kind of anticlimactic, right? You say, that's it? The problem for us is that stupid English word, remember. Because our word for remember is so much more shallow and limited than the biblical concept. And and really what we're going to do is spend the rest of our time this morning in the sermon explaining at what, at what David is getting at when he uses the language of remembering and why it's so important. Because David is calling out something in us that's far deeper than just, just mental recall. He's dealing with something that's far more transforming than just counting your blessings like counting sheep. It's something else. What is it? Remember? What is it? Well, here's what we're going to learn here. If you want to open up your your bulletin to the back page, you'll see these points outlined. We're going to look at why we need to remember, about where we need to do it in our lives. We're going to talk about what it is we need to remember, and then very quickly, how we do it, how we need to remember. And again, for David and for the Psalms, this is the key to handling all of life's circumstances. Let's start with the why. Why do we, re- we need to remember? Why would this whole magnificent psalm be completely dedicated to the idea of remembering? Forget not his benefits. Remember all of his benefits. What's forgetting as far as God is concerned? What's forgetting? What's remembering? If you did a quick search of the Bible, you could Google this if you wanted to, you would be amazed at the number of times those two words appear. Remember and forget. For example, Isaiah 51. God says, you're afraid of mortals, but, but they're like grass. And you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. God says, if you're afraid of anyone, if you're afraid of anything, you're forgetting me. 2 Peter 1, verses 8 to 11. You might want to write this down. There's a whole long catalog of things, but here's the gist of it. Peter's saying, grow in faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, kindness, and love. And if you're not growing in all of these things, it's because you've forgotten You've forgotten that you are freed from your past. So even if you just took those two verses together, didn't get anything else, one of the things the Bible is saying, and this is key, if you're afraid of anything, if you're lacking self-control in any way, if you struggle with perseverance, 
If you feel a deficit of kindness in your life, if you're lacking goodness, if you're lacking anything, it's because you're forgetting. And of course, God is always talking in his own life, in his own self, about forgetting and remembering. All kinds of places, you know, in the Bible where God says, I will remember your sins no more. And you put that with all the other things that we just looked at. And right away, you realize the Bible is talking about something far more profound than just mental recall. I mean, it can't be. When God says, I will remember your sins no more. What does that mean? Does it mean he looks at you and says, I know sometime in in 2015 you did something wrong. What what was that thing that you did that was wrong? I, I can't remember it anymore. That's not what God's getting at. In the Bible, remembering is controlling consciousness. In the Bible, remembering means to have something that's so central to your life, so central to your consciousness, that it completely affects you, and particularly particularly, it affects your behavior. How many times have you ever found yourself saying this? I will never, ever, never, never do that again. Because in the moment, it's so obvious. It was so awful. It was so destructive. And then within weeks, or days, or even hours, you're doing it again. Why? Did you forget? No, you didn't forget. It's not mental recall. It's that that thing that was so central in the moment isn't central to you anymore. The problem is what the Bible calls sin, and I know a lot of people wrestle with the word sin nowadays, really is a dislocation of the heart. And one of the effects of that dislocation is that your memory itself gets all screwed up. The things that should keep you confident, the things that should be affirming, that should keep your heart soft and humble and filled with joy are the kind of things that almost immediately after you've experienced them, they fade away. And the things that are cruel and disgusting and awful, they remain there in full technicolor glory. It's almost as if you know, somebody says something mean to you, something about your appearance or your intelligence. One of your parents told you when you were 13, you'll never amount to anything. You cannot let go of that. It has a grip on you. It's central to your consciousness. And it outweighs hundreds and hundreds of compliments that people have paid to you. When we were parenting, we, we read that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. You remember that one? Yeah. The one thing that's not in there is you can't possibly expect everything that's going to happen. But, but one of the things that's in that book is the reminder that the kids, as they're being raised, need to hear at least five, probably ten, positive, encouraging messages for every one critical, corrective message that they hear. Why is that? Why is it so tipped out of balance? Why does somebody have to tell you you're great a hundred times before you take it seriously, but only once do they have to tell you that you stink before you believe it? What's going on? There's something wrong with our hearts. There's something wrong with our minds and with our memories. And this is it. What you remember, what's central to your consciousness, sets the course of your life as a whole. And your mind, if your mind is centered on on the mercies you've received, the good things, you'll probably lead a happy life, regardless of the circumstances. 
If it's centered instead on injustices that you've received, you'll be a bitter person. It depends what you remember. What are you holding on to? Does that make sense? Remember means the things that engage you, the things that are tied on to you, that that you're grabbing hold of, and they hold you all the time. And one of the problems we have with our hearts is that the good things, the best things, the kind things, the noble and beautiful things, the things that ought to be controlling us, they fade quickly. And the things that make you feel terrible, put upon, cursed and maligned, they stay there. Why is it? The Bible says, and it's common sense that tells us, let's go back to the word sin. The Bible says over and over and over again, it's our forgetting. Not just our forgetting, but our need to forget. The way that we forget the good and forget God, that that is the essence of sin. Way back at the beginning of the biblical story in Deuteronomy, God says, you know, when you get to the promised land, you're going to forget all about me. Turns out he was right. And so when they cross over the Jordan River into the promised land, a miraculous crossing, you can read about it. God says, grab a stone. What for, Lord? Just hear me out on this. Grab a stone. Okay, Lord, what do we do now? Heap them up into a pile. What are we doing, Lord? I want you, whenever you see this pile of stones, to remember that I did this. Because you're going to forget. Why? Why do we forget? Romans chapter 1 tells us this, that the human heart always wants to be its own master. The human heart wants to be in charge. You want to call your own shots, don't you? Of course, it's natural. But because of that, the human heart cannot bear to see the greatness of God and everything that we owe to Him. So whether unconsciously or semi-consciously, we're always kind of needing to forget that. It's the great irony of our lives. On the one hand, we cannot bear the thought of the glory of God and the holiness of God and what we owe Him. And so we're trying to let go of that. And yet at the same time, we're made in the image of God and we desperately want to remember that. And that's the reason we need, we need a spiritual intervention and we need it desperately. Because all the best things, the true, the noble, the good, the God-given, all those things, they don't stick. We have Teflon hearts, right, when it comes to the good. On the other hand, we have very sticky hearts when it comes to the bad. Now, what are we going to do about it? Let's take a look. Where is it that we need to remember? Here's the second point. In other words, where does the psalm say is the real problem? Where's the place we have to work? The answer, again, right there in verse 1. Have a look at verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my innermost being. Praise His holy name. What's this? Who is Psalm 103 addressed to? Magnificent psalm, right? It's lofty, it's eloquent. Who is it written to? Hmm. This is the key, right? Is he talking to God? No, he's not. Is he talking to other people? No. Who's he talking to? Himself. Yeah. Only at the very end of the psalm do you get the sense that he might be talking to another group of people, but at the very, very end, 
he draws it back to the original addressee, his own soul. Here's what we're being told here. In my innermost being, there's this place where unbelief lives. In spite of what I might know out there on the periphery of my life, down deep in the core, I can't handle the truth. And it's not simply enough to subscribe to a bunch of Christian things. And it's not simply enough just to say, I believe these things. At some point, we need to do what Psalm 103 does, which is a vigorous, disciplined meditation, contemplation, if you'd like. This is not a prayer about your feelings. This is praying the truth down deep into your heart until it catches fire in the presence of God. You know, a piece of metal that is far too stiff and strong to ever be bent is completely malleable and flexible and can be changed if you do what to it? If you heat it up. We're trying to do this. It's something that many of us will never do. You say, I pray, I study the Bible. This is neither of them. You say, I think about what it is that we believe. It's not that either. This is something else. It's a cross-section maybe of all those things. Meditation contemplation is taking all that stuff downtown. Meditation and contemplation is praying your heart white hot with the truth until it catches fire. You're taking it right to the center. And if you look carefully, you'll see what this is. He's preaching to his own heart. This is a sermon. It's not a prayer. It's not simply a poem or a song lyric. And it's certainly not a lecture. It's a sermon. But who's he preaching to? He's preaching to himself. If I'm honest, I often feel like that on Sundays. Sheldon, I don't know if you ever find that. This message might not be for any of you, but it's certainly for me. What's he doing? He's breaking down all the benefits of having God in his life. It's a sermon with lots of points. You think four points is too many. I look at how many points are in this one. He's saying, let's look at this way and this way and this way and that way. Because in all these ways, God is active in my life and I'm forgetting them. And it's not just a laundry list. It's a sermon. Why? Because it's suffused with the presence of God. He's not just reflecting. He's not just thinking. He's thinking in the presence of God. He's talking to his own soul, to his own self. And he's saying, Just look at him. Look at all that he's done. And by the way, here are the things that I can hold on to. Psalm 42 is another great example of this kind of soul-stirring reflection. David says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Again, preaching to himself. Why are you disquieted inside of me? Hope in God, and you will praise Him again. Who's He talking to? His own soul. So what you have to do, what what you see here, is not just the need to remember, but where you need to remember. By taking the truth here. You're taking it into the center of your being. Meditation. Contemplation. Here's the third thing. It's the what. Because I, I know I've been kind of deliberately vague. I've been talking about truth. Take, take the truth downtown. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? It's not exactly what he says, is it? He's more specific. What is it that we have to remember? He doesn't say, forget not all of God's attributes. Reflecting on the attributes of God would be a great thing. 
He doesn't say forget not his attributes. He says forget not his benefits. The main thing that you and I need is the gospel. And that's what David is doing in Psalm 103. He's rehearsing the gospel. He's taking the truth of the gospel downtown into his own life. The good news. The benefits of God. The real problem behind most of our problems isn't that we don't believe the gospel. It's that we don't remember the gospel. The good news part of it. The benefits of God. What's the gospel? Take a look here. You can see it. It's incredibly well laid out. First, the gospel is good news. And boy, in verses 10 and 11, do you have good news? Have a look. Psalm 103, verses 10 and 11. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Look at that metaphor. In fact, let's do that. Which way is east? I'm asking that sincerely. I, I have no sense of direction. Is it that way? Okay, let's look that way. There's east. I'm trusting you on this. Okay? Let's imagine there's east. And I want you to imagine looking out and seeing the horizon way off in the east. And then you go five miles further east. Where's the horizon? Still way out there. You go 50 miles, still way out there. You go 500 miles, it's still way out there. Now you turn around and let's look this way. Same thing, where's the horizon? Way off in the distance. You could travel 5,000 miles, it's still there. As far as the east is from the west, it's infinitely far apart. These things never come together. Everything that's gone wrong in your life Gone, unconditionally gone, can never come back. Maybe you say, well, that's, that's good news. God loves me, but that's not enough. That's not going to heat up your heart, not to the temperature it needs to. And here's why. That's just an abstraction. It's not enough just to say, God loves you. Not enough to get rid of fear and doubt and anger and guilt, all the things we've been talking about this month. I know that God loves me. You can tell yourself that over and over again. It doesn't really heat up the the internal structures, the motives of the heart. But here's what does. It's the true story of what his love cost. There's a story with intensity and with heat. The gospel is the true story of how good news came. See, Here's the true story of the gospel. On the one hand, we want to forget God because it's too much to bear. And we try to forget God. What would be the natural consequences of forgetting? If you tried to forget all about somebody, somebody who was good and cared about you, what would be the consequences? That, That relationship would wither, would it not? What happens if you are actually forgotten by the only person who is the source of all significance in the world? See, to forget somebody is to treat them as insignificant, to to give them less weight. What if someone who's the source of all significance treats you as insignificant? What would that do to you? What would happen to you? C.S. Lewis is absolutely right when he says he has a better metaphor for hell than just fire. 
He says when he reads people talking about the fire of hell, fire and brimstone, he says, I know something that hurts more than that. To be ignored. Completely and utterly. What would it be like to be treated as a nobody by the only person in the world who is actually an eternal somebody? What would it be like to be treated as insignificant by the only person who is eternally significant? The source of all significance. That would be hell. And he says, this is Lewis, to be hell is to be eternally and permanently and utterly ignored. Cut off. What happened to Jesus on the cross, though? What is it that he cried out? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It's interesting. You remember? Well, some of you don't remember. In the 1970s, that rock opera that came out, Jesus Christ Superstar. There they had Jesus up on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? And I know their goal was to to make the language a little bit more colloquial and the word forsaken sounded kind of old-fashioned. But they got it absolutely right. Why have you forgotten me? To be forgotten by the one who is the source of all significance means he was plunged into darkness. Why? Forget not that he was forgotten so that you and I would always be remembered. Say that with me. Forget not that he was forgotten. Say that. Forget not that he was forgotten. So that you and I would always be remembered. What does Psalm 103 say? Have a look at verse 16. The wind blows over it. Its place remembers it no more. That's what we are. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. Then the wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting... To everlasting, His love is upon us. It never forgets. We will always be remembered. Why? Even though we forgot Him, we deserve to be forgotten. He was forgotten so that we could be remembered. You know that? And do you know just how much the Father and the Son must value you to do that? If you put that in the center of your heart, It blasts away fear. Remember you've been remembered. Remember what it costs to be remembered forever. Here's the last thing, how how we need to remember, and I'm just going to say this in a minute. I I can tell you because he goes all the way through the list, does he not? For example, he forgives your sins. Are you struggling with guilt? Remember that part of the Gospel. He heals your diseases. Do you feel like you're never going to be any better? There's the promise. He crowns your life with compassion and kindness. Are you feeling dishonored, upset with criticism? There it is for you. He redeems your life from the pit. Are you afraid of dying? There's your hope. Every problem you have is because you're failing to hold on to some aspect of the gospel and pray it right into the center of your heart. Are you struggling with any of those things today? Do you think he would have torn his own heart apart, done all the things that he's done, and forget you now? 
and will not forget you. Cannot. This is what you do. There's a little hymn by William Cowper. I don't think it's ever been put to music. But it goes like this. I want you to close your eyes and listen. And join me as we pray these words. Poor though I am, despised, forgot, yet God, my God, forgets me not. And He is safe and must succeed for whom Christ promises to intercede. Father, I ask that You'd help us to see that it's only through the leading of Your Spirit, through that inner conversation with our own soul, through rehearsing the Gospel story and putting it down in the center of our being, it's, it's only then that we can face life's challenges change ourselves from the inside out. So show us how to do that, Lord. Show us this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.